0: My name is Joe Grappel. I'm the uh, current church planning resident here. And this morning is great because we are starting a new sermon series. It's our Advent series, and it's going to take uh, today and then the following three Sundays as we move through this Christmas season. So, of course, as a culture, we've turned the corner, right? We, we turned the corner following Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, Thanksgiving just happened, right? I mean, maybe you're still digesting a little bit. Maybe you got the leftovers in the fridge still, but... Well, we've turned the corner, of course, and we're we're into the Christmas season now. It's really even happening before Christmas now, it seems. But but that's going to be kind of the uh, the air we breathe, our, our context for the next four weeks. And, and let's be honest, as Christians, um, while this season, of course, is intended more or less to to be a celebration, to be a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, we as, for we as, for us as Christians, we can. Um, struggle, we can find it hard to keep our hearts actually centered on Jesus in this season. Would you agree with that? I mean, the materialism can, can easily creep in, the, the busyness of the season can, can distract us, the nostalgia, uh, well-intentioned nostalgia, but uh, the nostalgia can distract us. And, and so through this sermon series, um, we, want to, we want this to be a way for us to each Sunday Keep ourselves focused, keep our our hearts and our minds centered and realigned on that which is really going to lead to joy this Christmas season, and that, of course, is Jesus himself. So we definitely want to encourage you to be here uh, each week of this Advent season. Now, I keep using that word Advent, Advent, you're like, what's up with that? I've never heard that word before. Um, The word Advent is a Latin word, and it simply means the word coming. So we refer to this season sometimes as the, as the Advent season, the season of, of a coming, and I love that because this season, while, while of course we're celebrating uh, the birth of someone, the fact that someone was born, and of course that's an incredible, uh, amazing miracle in of itself, but it's not just that someone was born, it's that someone has come. Someone has arrived. The, the Savior has come. The the king has come. The hero has come onto the scene. He has he has come. He's arrived. He's invaded our world. This is a celebration of a coming. So so our Advent series, with this Advent series, uh, including today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. So you can go ahead and go in your Bibles there to the book of Matthew. uh, Chapter 1, if you want to use one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, near you in the seats, it's going to be page 807 in one of those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please please feel free to use that one. So the verses we're going to be looking at today, uh, chapter 1 of Matthew, verses 18 to 23. Matthew 1, 18 to 23, let me go ahead and read them. So there are some parts of the Christmas story that I'm going to guess are probably somewhat familiar to you. Now, even if you don't have a, a background in Christianity or church, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm sure that probably you have some exposure to some elements of the Christmas story, right? That, that Jesus' parents were Joseph and Mary, that uh, he was born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, that, that there were angels there to announce his birth and, and shepherds and wise men uh, came and visited him and, and worshipped him. You're, you're familiar with all those aspects, I'm sure. But there's probably uh, probably for us a piece of the Christmas story, a big piece that we often miss, that's often uh, kind of left out, and that is what Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, and Joseph, of course, was, was Jesus' father in, in a limited sense, but what Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, went through in this process of finding out that they were going to be the parents of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that part of the story? Um, this passage here in Matthew, it, it kind of brings us into Joseph's world here, right? What, what's going on in his mind and what, what he was wrestling with? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about what this was like for Joseph? So, so this verse, these verses tell us that they were in this season of betrothal, that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. What, what is that about? Okay, so, so I want you to think about, uh, for those who are married in here, um, and maybe some of you are in, in this specific season right now, but for those of you who are married, think back to that time when you were engaged to your spouse. It's a great time, right? I mean, it was just so much excitement, so much anticipation. You were always thinking about uh, this person that you were engaged to. Uh, you couldn't wait to be married to them. I mean, the wait felt like forever, right? I mean, it felt like an eternity. For my wife and I, it was seven months, and it felt forever. Um, you wanted to be married to them. You wanted to be with them. You were completely clueless to all the challenges and difficulties of marriage and that it was going to radically expose the sinfulness and selfishness of your heart. You were just happy and in love, and you couldn't wait to be married. So think about that, okay, when we talk about these Jewish betrothal periods. Think about that, but like on steroids, like ramped up. Okay, because this was a year long season of that anticipation and preparation, and the husband he would spend a year uh, preparing the home, building the home that, that he and his, he and his betrothed wife were going to live in. Really, the couple was already considered married; it was just that they didn't live together or sleep together. <clears throat> so with that background in mind, think about this. Um, guys, men, especially, think, think about this so your fiancé, you, you, you've already put a ring on it. You've already popped the question. The, the wedding day is coming. Your fiancé, you find out that she is pregnant. And you are quite confident that you are not the father of this child. Can you imagine how devastating that would be? I mean, can you imagine the, the anger, I'm sure, just how sad Joseph would have been, the confusion, I mean, the questions... What in the world has happened here? Oh, but Joseph, the, the child's from the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that just settled all of Joseph's confusion and, and anger and sadness, right? Just cleared everything up? No. So I want us, among other things this morning, I want, to, I want us to kind of step in and, and enter in what Joseph was feeling in this well-known Christmas story. I mean, God was putting Joseph through a very difficult situation. Joseph, Joseph was being forced to, to choose between two options. On the one hand, he could break off this betrothal, sever this relationship with this woman that he loved. And in some ways, this was kind of the least awful option, right? Because with this option, he was going to be, be able to at least preserve his own reputation. Um, and of course, we see in the text that's what he had originally set out to do. Uh, though out of love for God and out of love for Mary, he was going to divorce her quietly, you notice it says. So he was not going to publicly shame her. He was going to try to the, to the best of his ability uh, maintain her reputation. Um, the, the common approach of the day, of course, would have been just to not care about that and publicly shame her. So that's, that's one option. Or on the other hand, he could choose to be the father of a son that was not his own. He could choose to follow through and marry a woman that now has the reputation of being immoral and promiscuous and drag his own reputation, his own name through the mud. <laughs> Those were Joseph's two options here. But here's the thing. God was calling Joseph to something incredible, incredibly difficult, yes. And, and many times he calls us to incredibly difficult tasks or maybe to endure through difficult seasons. But God was not going to leave. He was not going to leave Joseph. and He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us to walk through those difficult seasons alone. No, quite the opposite. He is with us. He's with us. As we've read, that's what really these verses are all about. That's That's what Christmas is all about, Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? uh, Matthew tells us very clearly what it means at the end of verse 23. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, just to clarify, Jesus was not named Emmanuel, okay? Jesus was named Jesus. And and we're going to get into what that name means and why it's so important later. But the reality is that the truth of Emmanuel is true in Jesus. He is God with us. So I want to explore that this morning. I want to walk through that concept that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. All right? Let's first think about this. If Jesus is God with us, that first has to mean that Jesus is God. It's got to mean that Jesus is God. So uh, look back at the verses here. Look back at the passage. Um, Again, Matthew's telling us this story. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream one night. The angel tells Joseph... um, Hey, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Still take her as your wife. Uh, The angel tells him what the baby's name will be, why. That's important. Again, that's coming later. And then verse 22, kind of as this aside, he he really turns to us, the audience, Matthew does, and and, and he points us back to earlier in the Bible. He brings out for us that the birth of Jesus is actually a fulfillment of prophecy, a prophecy through God's prophet by the name of Isaiah from 700 years prior. And it's believed that in the centuries following that prophecy, um, God's people, especially the the religious scholars, they they believed it would be fulfilled, but they didn't envision it being fulfilled this literally. I mean, what they thought was going to happen is that God was going to work through some particular man, some individual, he was going to raise up this leader and use that man mightily. And so through that, through this man's work, God was going to be present with his people. But... But the fulfillment of it ended up being beyond that. I mean, beyond what, what anyone could have dreamed. God, God Himself would come and be with His people. And notice here as well, I mean, this is even just more stunning. Okay, think about the guy who is writing this, Matthew. Matthew is a Jew, and he's writing to a, to a Jewish audience. And Matthew is very comfortable as a Jew calling Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew, a Jew, is calling this man, this human, this baby, God. The Jewish people never did that. They they never did that. By contrast, every other religion in the world would have been more likely to call a man God. Um, You think about the Eastern religions. Okay, Uh, They would have been more pantheistic. That is, they didn't think of God as a as a, a personal being, but more as a force that could have been present in anything and everything. And so they would have been very comfortable with the idea of, of, a, of humans or a particular human uh, being a manifestation of the divine. Or you think about the Western religions, the, the Greek religions, the, the Roman religions, they tended to be more polytheistic. And in fact, um, this comes out in their mythologies, if you're familiar with those at all. They believed that their gods would often disguise themselves As humans, And so again, they would have been very comfortable with the idea uh, of calling a human God. But the Jewish people, no way. The Jewish people never did this. The Jewish people did not throw the name of God around lightly. In fact, they had such a reverence for even just the name of God that they would not write it out, uh, they would not write out his full name of Yahweh for fear that they would be treating it with uh, triteness and flippancy. Them calling a man God, that's crazy. It's crazy, and yet that's what Matthew, a Jew, is doing here. So we have to come to the conclusion then, what? (laughs) That this man, Jesus, if Matthew was so sure to do this, this man, Jesus, really must have been and is God. And if we move past the birth of Jesus and, and move into studying the rest of his life, That's revealed to us here in in the books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Time and time again, that exact point is made to us continually, over and over, very clearly. Jesus really was and Jesus really is God. He healed all sorts of people of all sorts of diseases. In fact, sometimes he even raised people from the dead. He cast demons out of people. And in fact, every time a demon encountered Jesus, the demon is terrified because the demon knows who this man really is. He walked on water. He caused a storm to cease instantly. He um, fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. And then the greatest demonstration of all, of course, his own resurrection. He himself rose from the dead. So we've got authority over the human body, authority over spiritual forces, authority over nature, and authority over death. All over this guy's life, it's constantly being shown to us, this man was not just a man, he was and he is God. <clears throat> and furthermore, Jesus did not just do all these things and remain silent on the issue. No, he actually just said it too, that he was in fact God. He laid it out clearly many times. Um, one of the times where Jesus said this most clearly was in the book of John, chapter 8, uh, verse 58. And This is going to be up on the screen. And before I get into the verse... Um, have you ever said something that made somebody so angry that they wanted to kill you? <laughs> I mean, not like they, they blew up at you and yelled at you and got in an argument with you and, and uh, maybe went on a rant on social media at you kind of thing. We're not talking that. We're talking they become so angry, they're looking around for something to grab and throw at your head so they can kill you. Okay? That's what happened to Jesus here. And in fact, it happened more than once, but it happened here. So Jesus said these words, uh, five words at the, at the end of John eight fifty eight. said them to the religious leaders. He said, Be- Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. There's a lot packed into those five words. First of all, Abraham. Okay? Abraham, a uh, very important person in Jewish history. In fact, he was really the, the father of the whole Jewish race of people. He lived and died about 2,000 years before Jesus' time. And Jesus just made the crazy claim that he was around before Abraham. Okay, And it's actually crazier than that because notice he did not say, before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, So now he's claiming not just to be thousands of years old, but actually to be outside of time, above time, transcendent over time. Really, he's claiming that he is self-existing. He's saying, I am. I exist of my own will. I don't depend on anyone to exist, to be. I am. These are things that could only be true of God. And yet there's more. Those two words, I am, that was the very phrase that God used to identify himself to the Jewish people throughout their history. I mean, this phrase, I am, was beyond sacred, The Jewish people, you did not mess with the phrase "I am," and Jesus just claimed to be the "I am." I mean, this is a this is a mic drop moment, right? And so, because of this, they hear this, what they consider to be horrible blasphemy, and they want to stone Jesus. Now, here's the point with all this. Ultimately, again, where we're going is I want to explore the idea that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But first, we have to make sure we understand and we believe that Jesus is God. And he is. He absolutely is. He is God. He is the I am. He is the eternal, self-existing God possessing authority over all his creation. That's who Jesus is. It's it's really a fact that you can't ignore. You, You have to deal with it. You have to come to terms with it. You have to respond to it. And so... So I want to ask, how, how will you respond to it? I want to ask, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And, and by saying who is Jesus to you, I don't want to imply that you are the determining factor in who Jesus is. Okay, Who Jesus is is not open to subjectivity. So what I mean is, is who Jesus has claimed to be and proven himself to be who you believe him to be? Is who Jesus has claimed to be and proven himself to be who you believe him to be. I don't know all of you here this morning. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know your stories. Um, So I don't know. Maybe some some of you would would say, you know, I don't I don't really believe that Jesus was God. I I would not affirm the deity of Jesus. Um, I believe that he was an historical figure. I believe he was historically a a good moral teacher, uh, a philosopher of sorts, kind of along the likes of Aristotle or Confucius or Gandhi, but he wasn't God. Here's the thing with that, though. Jesus has not left that option of being just a good moral teacher. He's not left that open to us. So I want to read you guys a quote this morning. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and a part of this quote is in your bulletins as well. It's a powerful quote from a guy named uh, C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard of him, maybe heard of him. Most famous for writing the Chronicles of Narnia, but he, he wrote a lot more than that. Uh, he wrote tons of amazing works. Um, brilliant guy. I mean, professor at Oxford and Cambridge from his late 20s to the time of his death. Super brilliant guy. Here's something that he said in one of his most uh, well-known books called Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. if we would consider ourselves followers of Jesus here this morning, that, that we, we do what, what uh, Lewis just said, that we fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, that we acknowledge that he, Jesus, is Lord, is God. Doesn't this have implications for us as well? Shouldn't our daily lives reflect this? Shouldn't, shouldn't this belief that we believe that Jesus is Lord, shouldn't it matter to us functionally? Shouldn't our lives reflect the lordship of Jesus, that he is Lord, that he is Lord, or do our lives rather reflect the belief that I am Lord, that I'm Lord of my life, that I'm the one in control, that I'm the one calling the shots, that I'm the one in the driver's seat, that I'm the one on the throne? I want you to notice something here with Joseph in in, uh, Matthew 1. Do you notice in the passage who decides to name Jesus? Who decides what the name of the child will be? Is it Joseph? No, it's not. It's the, it's the angel, and it's really God through the angel. This is big, because typically in this culture, uh, one way that a, that a husband and father of a, of a family would demonstrate his headship and, and demonstrate the fact that he was the one in authority in this family was by doing, guess what, by naming the children. But here, Joseph doesn't have that right. It's kind of taken away from him, but I I do believe in a sense he gives it up. He gives up this right. And so I think even in this way, he is acknowledging who is Lord here. Who is Lord of my life and my heart and my family? It's an act of humility. It's an act of submission. And so where is God calling you to, to live in a similar way? Have you been trying to live with this mindset, God, I'll follow. I'll be obedient. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, it's got to meet these qualifications. And, um, you know, can't can't put me too far out of my comfort zone and, and this and, and that and all these qualifications we put on our submission. That, that's, that's how we often live. That's how often I live, uh, how I live often, but yet that is not humble submission to the one who is Lord and God, Jesus. All right, now again, I want to explore this with you this morning, not just that Jesus is God, but furthermore, that he is God with us. He's God with us. God, the eternal, self-existing God, the great I am, he has become Emmanuel, God with us. I want to ask you, is that still amazing to you? Is that still amazing to to me and, and to our hearts? I mean... I would think that among, among us there is a lot of film familiarity with the Christmas story, right? We, we've Over the course of our lifetimes we've been, been exposed to it so many times, the reality of God becoming man, God coming to us. Maybe because of that we have to some degree lost our amazement of it. So think about it. I mean, let it sink in this morning. Think about it, hear it, in a, try to hear it in a fresh way this morning. God the eternal God, the God who is outside of time and created the very fabric of time has stepped into time. God who is spirit, and, and apart from the times where he decide, has decided to reveal himself, he is invisible, so the invisible God who is spirit has become visible. He took on flesh and bone so that he could be seen and heard and touched by people like you and me, by people he created. God who is infinitely holy and righteous. So holy that really the tone of of what is communicated to us about who God is in the Bible, especially um, in the time leading up to Jesus, all over it's communicated communicated to us that God is very unapproachable. Very unapproachable. I mean, every time somebody has an encounter with God in the Bible, one, they are very terrified, and two, they think they're going to die. Okay, so, so one instance of this uh, in the book of Exodus, um, God's about to meet with Moses on top of a mountain, and he's about to give him the law, the Ten Commandments, and uh, the people are at the bottom of the mountain, and, and God tells Moses to tell the people, uh, Moses, make sure that nobody touches the mountain, and uh, this is animals included as well, because if anybody touches this mountain, they're going to die. And then in in that same story, later when Moses is meeting with God, Moses has the crazy request. He says, God, show me your glory. God, I want to see who you are. And God says to him, okay, tell you what, I'll show you my back, And he's speaking figuratively. I'll show you kind of the the outskirts, the the fringes of who I am. Because Moses, if I show you who I am in, in in my fullness, if I show you my glory in its fullness, it's going to kill you. Okay, so that God, that holy, unapproachable God has come near, has come to us. And not just that, he's become one of us. He's become a human. He walked and he talked and he and he slept and ate and drank and breathed and worked and laughed and cried, just like we do. So there's a verse in the in the Bible. Uh, we usually, well, sometimes we read it around the Christmas season, Advent season, and I think it's for good reason. Um, really, kind of sums all of this up. It sums up these amazing realities and just how crazy this is that God has come to us. This is John chapter 1, verse 14. It's up on the screen behind me. John 1, 14. And the word, and the word here is Jesus. You could see that from the context if we were to go there. But, but Jesus is the word here. He is the, he is the very essence of who God is. He is the self-expression of who God is. He is God's word. Okay? So the word Jesus He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Remember? Remember what Moses asked of God? God, show me your glory. John says, we have seen his glory in Jesus. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And understand that all of this makes the teachings of Christianity very unique. This, is, this makes Christianity really unique among the religions and and philosophical systems of the world. No one else really teaches anything like this. So think about the world of philosophy. I uh, don't know much about philosophy. In the world of philosophy, the two ideas that are often pitted against each other in terms of how we understand reality are are that which is real, that which is uh, concrete, that which is tangible, versus that which is, Uh, Conceptual, that which is ethereal, that which is in the idea realm. You see that Jesus has brought both of those together. (laughs) That which is tangible and that which is uh, ethereal and outside of our realm has been brought together in Jesus. This is unique among philosophy and the different religions of the world. And as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a, of a story that I want to share with you. This is a story told by David Platt. He wrote a, guy, uh, he wrote a book named uh, Radical, and um, he was a pastor uh, in Alabama up until a couple years ago, then became um, president of a mission board. So this is, this is from a book called Radical by David Platt, story that he tells here. I remember sitting outside a Buddhist temple in Indonesia. Men and women filled the elaborate colorf- colorful temple grounds, where they daily perform their religious rituals. Meanwhile, I was engaged in conversation with a Buddhist leader and a Muslim leader in this particular community. They were discussing how all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. We may have different views about small issues, one of them said, but when it comes down to essential issues, each of our religions is the same. I listened for a while, and then they asked me what I thought. I said, It sounds as though you both picture God, or whatever you call God, at the top of a mountain. It seems as if you believe that we are all at the bottom of the mountain, and I may take one route up the mountain, you may take another, and in the end, we will all end up in the same place. They smiled as I spoke. Happily, they replied, Exactly, you understand. Then I leaned in and said, Now let me ask you a question. What would you think if I told you that the God at the top of the mountain? actually came down to where we are. What would you think if I told you that God doesn't wait for people to find their way to him, but instead he comes to us? They thought for a moment and then responded, that would be great. I replied, let me introduce you to Jesus. God has come down from the mountain. God has come down from the mountain to us. He's come to us in Jesus in Emmanuel, God with us. Now the question we got to ask then is why? Why did he do this? What was in it for God to do this, to come to us as one of us? Why would he humble himself? Why would he do this? Well, what, what David Platt said to those religious leaders already has us kind of moving in the right direction here. He came because we can't climb the mountain. We can't find our way to him, so he came down to us to rescue us and bring us back to himself. I want you to take a look back at Matthew 1 again, and uh, I'll show you a detail that kind of gets into this. Remember, this is verse uh, 21, remember what the angel told Joseph the name of the baby would be. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for... Or or because, so so what the angel is about to say is connected to the fact that they would name him Jesus, all right? You should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. What's the connection here? The connection is what Jesus' name literally means. Do you know what the name Jesus literally means? It means salvation. It means Yahweh, literally means Yahweh saves. God saves. God saves delivers. God rescues. And what does the verse say that Jesus has come to save us from? He's come to save us from our sins, our sins, our unrighteousness, our filthiness, our rebellion, our hatred toward God, our idolatry, our selfishness, our pride. Jesus who is the one whose very, very name means salvation. He's come to save us and to rescue us from our sins. But then we've got to ask, how would he do this? How does he do this? Well, the story of Jesus, of course, begins here with, with uh, the Christmas story, with him being born to Mary in Bethlehem. But where does it end? It ends with him dying on a cross as a criminal and rising from the dead. This was what God's rescue plan was, okay? Jesus came, Emmanuel came, he lived as one of us, he lived a a perfect life. He he, he never committed any sins of his own, and so he fulfilled the the requirements of righteousness that were on us that we could never live up to. And then as Jesus died on the cross, there was this great exchange happening, okay? The, The exchange is this, that Jesus was given what belongs to us. Jesus was given, that is, he was, he was credited with our sin and our rebellion against God. And therefore, with that, all the punishment and all the wrath that we deserved for our punishment and our, and our rebellion against God. And Jesus absorbed, he satisfied the wrath, the punishment of God uh, to the full. This is why Jesus cried out on the cross, um, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me? Do you see what was going on there? Jesus, again, who is Emmanuel, he is God with us. He had come to be with us to rescue us so that we could be brought back to God and be with God fully and be with God forever. But in order to make that happen, he had to first be separated from his father. He had to be left by his father and forsaken by his father on our behalf so that we could then be brought back in and welcomed back in. So so here's the exchange that happened. Jesus got wrath on our behalf. He got being forsaken on our behalf. But what we get, we get God. We get to be with God fully and forever. When we we repent of our life of sin, when when we rest in Jesus and trust in Jesus alone, that's what we get. We get to know the fullness of Emmanuel, God, with us. We get to be with God. We receive this standing, this position of righteousness before God so that we can actually be with this holy, unapproachable God. And we get to be invited in and welcomed into his family as his sons and as his daughters so i want you to hear that invitation today i want you to hear that invitation today to come and rest to come and rest in jesus okay this is this is how christianity is different from every other religion in the world and even many forms of christianity that aren't really true christianity religion says that you can climb the mountain you can climb the mountain, so do it. Climb the mountain, work hard, do better, be a better person, be the best version of you that you can be. And that's the pathway to God. That's, that's the pathway to spirituality and the pathway to fullness. But if, if you're on that path and if, or if you've ever been on that path, you know how exhausting that is. It's not the freedom of, of Jesus. It's not the freedom of the good news the gospel of Jesus. So so Christianity is not about working. It's not about trying to climb the mountain. It's resting in what Jesus has done. So God invites you to come and rest in Emmanuel. Come and rest in Jesus. He's already, rest in what he's already done for you. How he he came, how he lived the life that you couldn't and died the death that you deserve to die and then triumphantly rose from the dead. Rest in that. Now, there's another aspect here to Jesus being Emmanuel, Jesus being God with us that I want us to think about this morning, and that is how this all relates to our suffering. How this all relates to our suffering. Think about this. Because Jesus, Emmanuel, has come, the Godhead understands what it's like to be human. The Godhead understands what it's like to be human completely and fully. I want you to listen to a couple verses here uh, from Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 17 and 18. It should be on the screen behind me. It just really unpacks this well, all right? Therefore, Jesus, he, had to be made like his brothers. That's us, his brothers and sisters. Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Every respect, every way, Jesus was made like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered Jesus himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted so to summarize there Jesus because he became like us in every way he is including the fact that we have suffered, he is able to help us and comfort us in the midst of our suffering. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? Because we really like when people get what we've gone through. Right? We really like what people when people get what we've gone through. Again, I don't know your individual stories here, um, but there are probably some things that you've gone through over the course of your lifetime that are, that are at least somewhat unique to you and to your story. So that is, you, you've, you've experienced something that not everybody has experienced. Um, and whatever that might be in your story, it's tough. It's, it's hard. The, the people in your life, your friends, your family, they, they want to help you, they want to encourage you, they want to comfort you, but they just can't because they haven't been through it like you've been through it. I know for us and for our family, um, one example of this, one huge example of this is, is a fire that we had in our home about a year and a half ago where we literally, um, basically, lost all of our, lost all of our possessions. Um, we, had, we had many people around us, uh, very well-intentioned people who wanted to help us, who wanted to encourage us, and, and did, certainly, to, to some degree, um, to, to a large degree. Um, but they hadn't, been what, they hadn't gone through what we had gone through. Uh, we would have conversations and and, we, and they sought to encourage us and, and certainly we appreciated that, but we knew at the end of the conversation they were going to return to their home filled with all their possessions and we were going to return to our situation trying to put the pieces of our lives back together and, and sift through the confusion and just the overwhelmingness of all of it. That's what it is for us. So whatever that is for you, let's say then you discover that you have a family member or a friend or you just meet somebody who's shared in that experience. They've suffered in the same way that you have. And they just get it. They get it. They've they've been there. And so you have this real bond with them and you feel like you can pour your heart out to them in ways that you can to others. And, And you're willing to listen to them to a greater degree than you are to others because they've been through it. They have a special ability to comfort you because they've been through it. They get it. Guys, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He's been there. He's been through it. He suffered. You say, yeah, but you don't know my story, and I don't know your story, but I know that Jesus, if Hebrews 2 is true and it's true, Jesus was made like us in every way. He's, he's Emmanuel. He's with us, and he's been there. So if you've been betrayed by a friend, Jesus has been there. If you've felt lonely, Jesus has been there. If you've, um, if you've experienced loss, if, if someone close to you has died, Jesus has been there. If you feel like God isn't answering your prayers, um, think about Jesus on the night when he, the night before he was crucified. He, he prayed to his father And he didn't get the answer that he was expecting, or he didn't get the answer that he wanted to to some degree. In some ways, he didn't even get an answer. If you feel like God has abandoned you, Jesus was forsaken for you on the cross. Or maybe you feel like Joseph and Mary here. Again, remember what God's calling them to here. He's calling them to enter into this difficult situation um, in being the parents of Jesus, Maybe God's calling you to enter into something difficult. You feel like you have two paths in front of you. Neither of them is a great path. Both of them are going to be hard, and and the one that appears to be right is going to be really hard and really difficult. Maybe God's calling you to put your reputation on the line like he did with Joseph and Mary. And even in that, Jesus has been there too. He entered into the pathway of suffering. He, He took the painful pathway to the cross, where he allowed his own reputation to be dragged through the mud, right? He was treated as a blasphemer, treated as a criminal, and then executed. He's been there in that too. Whatever it is, he gets it. He's been there. He's walked through the types of of darkness and suffering that, that you're facing. So here's what the beauty of Emmanuel is. Not only has he been here with us to walk our streets and experience what we've experienced, but He's now with us to help us and to comfort us in, in deep and in profound ways because He has been there. And I want you to think about this too. So, so again, we're, we're right here at the beginning of the Christmas season. We're entering into this season uh, in our culture that really promises a lot of comfort to us, right? It's funny because the original intention of the Christmas season is to celebrate the birth and the coming of the one who is the true comforter. And yet this season in of itself holds out to us and promises us a version of comfort. But it's false comfort. It's, it's escapism. I mean, the invitation is come and just immerse yourself in the Christmas season, um, in, in the nostalgia, in the warm, fuzzy feelings, in the materialism and the presents and the christmas carols and the and the christmas movies and the decorations and the lights and the eggnog and whatever it is just come and immerse yourself in that forget about your troubles your cares your worries all will be merry and bright and it doesn't work it doesn't work it can't deliver on this version of comfort that it offers january still comes and, and the, the difficulties and challenges of life are still there. That, that dysfunctional relationship is still there. That, that hard conversation that you need to have is still there to be had. That, uh, that feeling of loneliness, that anxiety over your job, that, that loss that you've experienced, it's all still going to be there like it was in November. But there's a better comfort held out to us through Emmanuel through God with us, through Jesus, because he has been there. He's been through it. He gets it. And so He is able to offer a comfort to us that is deeper than even what the best of the Christmas season has to offer us. All right, guys, I want to move into a time of, of reflection on God's word here, and I want you to think about where <clears throat> where is God asking you to confess? How is he asking you to respond to his word today. So there's going to be some reflection questions on the screen uh, to help us think through those things. And uh, following that, we'll continue to respond to God's word with communion. But first, let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for Emmanuel, Jesus. I ask God that you would you would do here what we've, what we've talked about this morning, that you would <clears throat> help us to, in a fresh way, see and understand the amazing reality of Emmanuel, that, that the eternal God, you, the eternal God, <clears throat> in your Son, Jesus, <clears throat> you have come to us. You've come to, to enter into our pain, to understand what we go through, And ultimately, to save us from our sins, to rescue us, bring us back to yourself so that we can know the reality of Emmanuel, not just now, but fully and forever in your presence. God, we thank you for this. I pray that you would now work in us. um, Help us to consider where you would have us to change. God, do not allow us to to be... um, to interact with your word here this morning and, and walk away unchanged. It's not why you've given us your word. And so I ask that you, by your spirit, through your kindness and grace to us in Jesus, you'd change us. We love you. And we thank you for Emmanuel, God, with us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.